Hello, everybody. Welcome to Our Story Isn't Over. My name is Kevin Piskarek, and I'm joined by my co-workers, Tristan. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Tristan Schnoak. I'm the Community Outreach Coordinator for Youth Move PA. And Chris. Hi, my name is Christopher Lunsford. I'm the Call for Change and Youth Move or Youth Care Coordinator at the PMHCA. Thanks, guys. So um, as we talked about in the last couple of podcasts, um, we have been under new structure, transitioning into kind of new positions, all three of us. Chris is obviously our new um, our new employee, and he's kind of transi- transitioned into the position that I was currently in. And uh, so, Chris, how's, uh, how's everything going? And what's new with you? Um, it's, it's been good. I, a lot to take in a lot of new stuff, uh, going on that I've never really been involved in before. Um, whether it be the trainings or the meetings between different organizations, um, and lots of new people to meet new things to learn. Um, it's been pretty cool. Um, big change in lifestyle for sure. Going from working as a CPS in the field, um to you know working more on a a systems and organizational level so it's it's been pretty cool though um very rewarding experience so far um and let's see as far as things how things are going we uh we just got done attending a training in danville um we went over to the cmsu and did a training with uh the Peer Support Coalition on um, having having a brain stump for a moment. Crisis and peer support. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, Uh, which was really cool because you know it was it was basically teaching um, how the peer specialist role in crisis services uh, works and what that looks like. Um, So there was a lot of neat things to learn. Um, and it was really, really awesome. I mean, it was inspiring in a lot of ways. A lot of people got to share their stories of, uh, you know, what, what types of crisis they've experienced and, um, they've supported people through. And we got to learn a lot about like the four different crisis services that are available in the state. Um, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle them off here and see, it's going to be like a a memory test for me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was the the hotline services, you know, like a phone call-in services, um, walk-in centers. Um, we learned about mobile crisis teams, which was something I was totally unfamiliar with. Um, and then there were uh, residential crisis services, um, which, you know, kind of provide a respite for folks. Um, it was a neat, seemed like a really neat alternative to something like, you know, hospitalization, uh, where they could kind of work through what they were going through, set a plan of action in place, and then kind of get back on their feet before it came to that point. Um, so, you know, uh, of all three of those things, I had heard mention of the mobile crisis team. I have in the field taken people to residential before. Um, and I have, you know, talked at length with folks about the utilization of the hotlines, um, but none of those things I've had personal experience with. 
um, as an adult who uses services. So I learned a lot through this, this training. Um, but yeah, so we just got back from that and that was like a three day thing. Um, I'm learning to facilitate that. So that's going to be pretty interesting going forward. Nice. So, um, that's good. Sounds like an interesting training. I like doing trainings with the coalition. They have, uh, they definitely have some good facilitators. Um, so what's, uh, what's new with you, Tristan? Uh, not a whole lot. Facilitating a lot of trainings. Um, and then uh, we're talking about getting our hands into something called emotional CPR. Um, so that is going to be fun. Keep your eye out for that. If that's something that you've heard of or not heard of, we're going to try to get to become trainers for that. Um, and I don't know. Uh, we're working on planning our 2022 wellness days. You guys remember us talking about the uh, wellness days we did over the summer. We had our sponsors on a podcast previously, um, or some of them, and we are looking to start planning for this upcoming summer. So keep your eyes and ears open for that stuff as well. Um, that's where I'm at. Kevin, what about you? So for me, busy as well facilitating many trainings um virtually um through zoom of course um but we do have one coming up in person next week which i'm really looking forward to we're piloting that um youth and young adult cps training which um is going to be at my old organization that i previously worked for at ami inc in washington um, so I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, Zoom trainings are tough. Um, so <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to the, to the in-person training for sure. Um, other than that, you know, just trying to stay busy with, you know, work, work at home. Um, Self-care is, is tough, especially, I mean, it's been nice these last couple of days, but you know, actually after today, the temperature is going to start dropping and um, self-care is a lot tougher once the, once the temperature gets colder because, you know, you can't really do a whole bunch of stuff outside like when it's warm out. So um, when, when you're sitting inside and, and, and you can't do the things you, you could normally do when it's nice outside, it's tough. So um you gotta you gotta really dig into the 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 toolbox to to figure out what's gonna work for your self care when the weather when when the temperature drops. So, um, do you have any suggestions? What is something that is a go to for you for winter time? I mean, it's winter summer. It's always music. Uh, music mm -hmm. music's always yeah. my ultimate uh, wellness tool. Um, I listen to music all day long. But um, other than that. Um, Talking to supports is always a good wellness tool for me too. Um, I, I, I know this just from being, from being in recovery for quite some time that like I don't ever have to go through anything alone, um, and that's important to know. Um, just from being in situations in the past that like um, at times when when we feel alone and we feel like there's no way out. Um, 
there's always somebody there. We just have to be willing to reach out. Um, and that's important for me to be aware of and recognize because there's been times when we, I should say I, not we, um, but I'm sure other people have felt like this when we're going through situations and it feels like it's the worst situation in the world. Um, and we feel isolated, we feel depressed, um, we have anxiety, and we just want to sit sit in our crap, you know? Um, and when we feel like that, it's hard to reach out. It's hard to be open-minded enough to just make that phone call or go see a friend. Um, but most of the time, that's the best thing for us. Um, so, uh Talking to, friend, talking to friends is a huge thing for me. I can definitely relate to that, especially recently. Like I've really been struggling, I guess, a lot more than I thought I would. Um, so my grandfather passed away a few weeks ago now, and um, he was struggling with dementia for years before he passed away. Um, and I, so I sort of just kind of like knew that something eventually was going to happen. Um, but I think after his actual passing, it's so, it was this weird feeling of grief. Like, I don't know, it, it was, it was really difficult to go through. Cause I felt like, um, I already grieved a million times over because every time he loses a function or something, you're like, oh, wow, that really made me sad or that really bummed me out or that's terrible or whatever. So when he forgot my name, you know, it was a grief experience. When he forgot how to walk, it was a grief experience. You know, like all these things. And then he finally actually passed away and you feel like you grieved already. But then this whole other thing happens. So I really uh, relate to that, Kevin, because I've been struggling ways that I didn't think that I would be. Um, and it's not necessarily that I'm sitting around crying all the time. Um, it's more of a apathy towards everything and everyone. Um, and it just wasn't what I was expecting, although I guess grief never is. So I can definitely say that reaching out is hard and uh, not always something that you want to do. But once I did reach out and tell like my mom and my husband that I'm struggling with this stuff, I actually felt like better just by saying those words and getting it off my chest. So, um, yeah, winter is tough. Um, but reaching out is always going to be something, a wellness tool that I, I know I try not to forget about because it's something that like, how is someone supposed to know that I need help if I don't tell them, you know? So. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, reaching out. It's probably one of the most effective wellness tools whenever we're going through a hard time yet, uh, ironically is one of the most difficult to use. Um, and this is something I, I talk about a lot as well. Um, like on my end with friends, family and stuff. And, um, how like there's when when you are going through a hard time and you're feeling like all the effects of the stress the 
whether it's new trauma, um, grief, like what you're going through, Tristan. Um, I think there's this thing in the back of our minds that is like, oh, we should just be good enough to to let all that roll off our backs and, and be fine and function normally. Um, and we're recognizing that we're not and we're like, ah, something's wrong with us. Um, and so, you know, the idea of reaching out in those moments feels like we're, we're troubling someone, we're bothering somebody and like we're, we're being a burden of some sort or worse, we're just showing our vulnerability and people are going to see us as weak or something like that. Um, and then, so yeah, that, that stuff kind of, at least for me, that's kind of how my, my mind works with it. And it creates barriers to reach out. Um, when, when both of y'all were talking about this uh, a minute ago, I was thinking like, I wanted to ask the question, like, how does it feel when you're going through that? And then you get like a text message or a phone call from someone and they're like, how are you doing? You know, like for me, that's like, like a ray of light kind of coming into everything. Um, and when we reach out, like that might be really hard, but we can kind of like carve that, that ray of light in our, in our lives too, when we do that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that is a really important like wellness tool. Um, I've, I've learned that in my own personal experience over the last couple of years, um, you know, I moved out to Pennsylvania about two, two and a half years ago now. And, um, you know, all my friends are back in New Mexico cause that's where I'm from. Um, and so I got used to for a while, you know, if I was going through a hard time or something, I'd invite people over or I'd see what somebody was doing and we kind of link up, have dinner and talk about things, um, or just, you know, play some video games or something and, and kind of have, having someone around like makes it easier to kind of work through um, and being so far removed from everybody. That's been a harder thing to do, obviously, because we can't get together, but you know um, you just, you feel more disconnected. And so it's been harder to reach out, but every time I have reached out, it's been really helpful. Um, I always feel better whenever I talk to a friend or like my mom or something, whenever I'm going through a tough time, um, and I did that just a couple of days ago, actually, uh, I was talking to my mom about, you know, kind of how I was feeling and what was going on. And, um, they lifted a lot of weight off my shoulders. So I, I love that wellness tool. I love my mom. I talked to my mom about everything. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's an easy person to love. I just mean like moms, I don't know. They just sometimes have this way, you know? It's something else. It's, it's at least for me, that's yeah, a really good wellness tool. And the other thing, Chris, that you made me think of is a lot of times reaching out doesn't necessarily have to look like, Hey buddy, uh, I'm really depressed lately and I need your help. Um, it can look like, Hey, can you come over mm -hmm. or, um, do you want to go out for lunch or, anything like it doesn't just because you're reaching out does not mean that you have to say i need your help you know yeah. it doesn't especially not the first thing out of your mouth or over a text you could just say hey do you want to come over or do you want to go for a walk or whatever just thought i because i think a lot of times reaching out has this connotation of you need to tell people what's wrong and you don't yeah. always have to do that to feel better 
Yeah, um, it's funny. You mentioned that. I'm like, I remember one time, uh, my best friend's name's Miles, and uh, I was really depressed, and um, I was just like sitting on my couch, and I didn't really know what to do with my day, so I texted him. I was like, hey, when you're off of work, do you want to come over? And he was like, sure, what are we going to do? And I was like, I have no idea. I was like, I don't even know that I know how to talk to anybody right now or what to say. So I might be really quiet, but I would just like to hang out. And he was like, okay. And he came over and for like three hours, we just sort of sat in silence and played games and, you know, listened to music. Um, Every once in a while, we'd have something to say, but, you know, it was so... uh, menial there was there's nothing major to talk about but it, it made me feel better just hanging out you know so you mentioned something about video games a moment ago and hmm. uh, i know you um provide a type of peer support um through the video or uh, through the platform of twitch um can you kind of tell anybody that's listening uh you know, what you do through Twitch. Um, oh, yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I'm a live streamer on Twitch, and um, I've been providing, like, intentional peer support there since uh, the end of 2014. Um, and so what I we kind of do there is, yeah, we play video games, um, and but we don't really, like, it's not, like, the main focus, like, Um, the idea was that like, I realized that a lot of people use video games as a coping mechanism, um, and try to like get through their challenges, um, whether it be through escapism or just trying to immerse themselves in another world and like get something out of it. Um, that can be a pretty powerful, uh, tool uh, rather than, you know, it's not, it's not just like, uh, you know, we're just trying to kill time and be numb while we're doing it. I think that a lot of folks get a lot of things out of some of the games that they play. So for me, that was a a powerful um, learning tool uh, whenever I was growing up. And so I thought, cool, we'll use that as like our platform and background to talk about some sometimes challenging things. Um, So the channel is basically about, you know, we'll we'll play a game, um, but it's all centered around discussion. And the game just sort of makes it easier to have that discussion, um, gives us something to kind of like use as an icebreaker and um, refer back to at times whenever maybe things get a little, little heavy or something like that. Um, so, yeah, my channel is um, twitch.tv slash fence TV. Um, every day that we go live, which is usually two to three times a week, um, we have a new question of the day. The question of the day is usually an open-ended question where we ask people about, you know, things that allow them to share their story and be part of ours. That's kind of our tagline. Um, And so we might ask people about things like, you know, um, share with us a success uh, over the last week that you've accomplished. Uh, We'd like to celebrate with us and tell us what it was like um, to reach that success or, um, you know, what is something that you're striving for that you would really like to accomplish or that you would like to see change in the world? Um, or, you know, if X scenario happens, how does that make you feel? And how would you, you know, what do you think the right way to respond to that is? You know, it could be a wide range of things. 
Um, they're all conversation starters though. And so typically, you know, people will come in, see what the question of the day is, answer the question of the day. And then we just continue the conversation from there. And it's fun because, um, you know, a lot of times people will come in and they'll answer the question of the day. And then we'll start talking about like what's going on with their school um, or, you know, a game that they were playing, or maybe they're, they're learning something like uh, some people are like musicians. They'll talk to us about how they're, um, you know, progressing in, in that craft or with just whatever, you know, the, they always end up evolving into some really interesting discussions. So we, we really um, provide this like open uh, judgment-free platform for people to come in and talk about whatever's on their mind, whatever they're feeling. Um, there are times where people will talk about um, the emotional distress that they're under. Um, and so sometimes that conversation can get into some real tough territory. Um, I've had some folks talk to us about suicide and abuse and um, drug issues and incarceration and things like that. Um, and I think it's nice that we can have those discussions on this platform because normally that stuff comes up in the real world. And I think that there's a lot of judgment that happens, shuts people down. Um, this is a place where people can talk about that and we can be like, wow, you know, that, that sucks to hear that that's what's going on. Like, how are you going through it? Like how, what's going on? Um, and they can talk about that and everybody's just like, you know, either they're supportive or they just listen. Um, and it's nice to have something like that where we get to learn from each other. Um, you know, I mentioned the tagline earlier, share your story, be part of ours. The reason it's, that's the, the core of it all is because it really is about how we can share our experiences with one another, good or bad. And everybody that hears it can benefit from it or can contribute to it and uh like we can all grow through those those connections so you know uh kind of long-winded but that's basically like what the what the stream is about um and so i do this uh right now it's tuesdays thursdays and saturdays um at five or five thirty on thursdays because we've got a, a drop-in that we host before then on Thursdays for youth and young adults. And it caters to all ages, this, this stream does. Um, we do get a lot of young folks that come in because um, that's just like, I think the core of the gaming community happens to be younger. Um, but, you know, I've talked with people uh, from as young as like 10, 11 years old, um, all the way up to folks in their 50s. So it's open to everybody. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um kind of cool how you started it years back kind of unintentionally um and it turned out to kind of be peer support virtually and um you ended up working in peer support down the road pretty cool um we will include your live stream link once we post it once we post this podcast, we'll kind of attach your live stream link. And so if anyone listens to the podcast and wants to kind of join the live stream link on those days that you have it, they can join it. So that'll be, that'll be cool. Um, so we're going to kind of trans, <clears throat> trans transition into um, one of the topics that we were going to talk about on this podcast and then it was like what kind of brought each of us into this field 
And since you were kind of talking about that, I, I'm thinking I'll just kind of let you go first because you were kind of talk, talking about that, you know, that your live stream and your live stream, it kind of sounds like almost maybe your personal lived experience before your live stream, but your live stream brought you into kind of this field prior to that. Um, can you kind of tell us what brought you into this field of work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're, you're right. Um, there's a lot, uh, that the live stream in my experience doing that had to do with, uh, me getting into being a certified peer specialist. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll take it a little bit further back than that, um, and kind of, you know, share what, what got me interested in live streaming to begin with for that purpose. So, you know, video games I mentioned earlier have always been like a, a core part of uh, something I've used to both cope and uh, work through my diagnosis. Um, and for the record, um, I was diagnosed at six years old with bipolar disorder uh, and ADHD. And, um, you know, I had, I had been recovering through that uh, from a very young age. Um, so, you know, during those experiences, I had some uh, periods of time where I was hospitalized in Children's Psychiatric Hospital um, twice. And one of those times I had met this kid. Um, wish I could remember his name right now. I was about nine years old when I met him. Um, but I remember how he made me feel. Um, so anybody who's had any experience of hospitalization knows that it can feel really isolated. Um, you, you get a lot of things taken away from you. Normal things like um, like shoelaces or, or magazines and books and things like that. Like you have to, you, you can't have shoelaces for one thing, but like books and magazines and stuff have to be screened and, and monitored while you're using them because um, of potential like harmful uses that you could uh, employ with them. And, and the staff are always mindful of those types of things. Um, so, you know, I was, I was away from my family. Um, that was hard. Um, I couldn't do the things that I was normally used to doing. That was hard. And I was in trouble this one time. Um, so I wasn't allowed to check out my, my Game Boy. Um, so it's like recreation time. Um, so it's a little bit after lunch. Um, you go to school and everything when you're an inpatient at these places uh, as a child. And so we had gotten done with like half our school day. And everyone's hanging out and having a good time, um, you know, either reading or playing with a couple of people that they, they met um, or, you know, the, in the instance of this kid, uh, he was playing his Game Boy and I was jealous. I was like, man, I have a Game Boy too, but I can't play because I'm in trouble. I was acting out or something like that. And, um, you know, so I kind of like hung out over his, over his shoulder watching him play this game. And he looked up at me and he was like, do you, do you want to play this? Um and I was like, really? Like, I, I'm not supposed to. And he's like, I won't tell anybody, you know? Um, so he let me play for a little bit. And, uh, and then we became friends, um, which was, he was the first friend that I made in the hospital during that time. Um, and it just really stood out to me because uh, I, when I look back at it, I'm like, we made a connection because of this game and our shared interest in games. Um, and that became more of a core uh, event and why I wanted to do this than I thought it would be. So, you know, Oh, they had visitation periods and stuff. So my family would come in and visit us a couple times a week or visit me a couple times a week. And, uh, every time I would, you know, we'd be in this room that had this big glass window 
so that like the staff could still see through it, um, see what the families were doing and stuff. But then they gave the family some privacy too to just spend time with their their kid. So I'd be there with my mom and stuff, and uh, you know we'd look out the window and we'd see my friend, and and he would always kind of peer in, and he looked sad, and I remember the look on his face um, it stuck with me, um, and I you know, I felt bad about that. Like we tried to invite him in and of course, you know, privacy policies and things like that. Like you can't invite someone else's kid to hang out with another person's family. Um, it was just against the way things work. So, um, a combination of that and the fact that I never saw this kid's family come to visit him even one time. Um, and I was in the hospital with this guy for like four months, um, really just broke my heart. And as an adult, I can reflect on this and I understand that a lot of my recovery and, and getting better, learning how to cope with uh, my diagnosis and, and work through it stemmed from the support that I had whenever I was growing up. And that kid, that friend who had reached out to me um, was an example of someone who did not have that support, um, at least not from what I could tell. And I've wondered what's happened to him um, for, for most of my life, because when I look back and think if I didn't have the support of my family or the right people on my team uh, to, to help me learn how to work through my, my symptoms and my experiences, I might not be here today. Um, I might be in jail. I might have gone down a really rough path. Um, and so you know, that was behind me um, starting the live stream. Um, I was like, cool, video games. I like that. That makes sense. Um, people rally around it and we can make connections uh, with video games. So let's do that. And I want to give people a voice. I want people to be able to get the same type of support that I got, even if it's in a different form. Um, and so, yeah, doing that for, uh, I guess, almost almost seven years now. Um it, there was a lot of times where we went through some tough experiences with some folks. I supported people and mentored kids and uh, walked side by side with a lot of folks through things and realized that no matter what was going on in my life, I always had a desire, not always the energy, <laughs> um, but always had the desire to reach out if I saw somebody was going through something. Um, and so, you know, it was somewhere in between now and, and when I started that, that I realized I wanted to do that um, for like as a profession. I just had no idea how to do that. I knew about therapy. I knew about going and, you know, getting your degree in psychology and trying to do psychiatry and, and, and you know, do the clinical thing. Um, but other than that, I didn't really know how, uh, how to, to provide that support professionally and, and help folks. Um, until, uh, my cousin was getting married and I met his fiance and she told me about peer support. Um, they were doing it out in Seattle, Washington. Um, and I was like, what's peer support. And so she kind of gave me information about like, oh, it's people who use their lived experience to go and help other people. Um, not really from a, uh, a clinical, like I have the experience. You should listen to me. Let me give you advice kind of perspective, but the, Hey, I've been through some stuff. You've been through some stuff. Let's see if we can't figure out how to get through it together. Um, and I was like, that sounds awesome. Um, and she told me a little bit about like how to get started with that. Um, 
And so it just was, it was like another two years before I actually did it um, and got my certification and everything, but it was there in the back of my mind the whole time. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I always, especially with youth, um, I always wanted to, to support them because I think that when you're young, so much is going on. Everything's so intense. Um, people talk about how dramatic teens can be and kids can be and stuff like that. But I know that it's not just them being dramatic, like they are feeling a lot. And everything that happens seems like there's an upheaval going on in their life because they're having to learn so much. Um, feeling like they have a voice, um, at least in my personal experience, feeling like I had a voice when I was younger um, and people to listen to me and take what I was talking about and going through seriously really made a tremendous difference in my life and helped me a lot, made me feel accepted before I was even uh, at a point in my life where, you know, I was an adult. And so I had equal agency with, with other adults. Um, that really changed the way I looked at the world. Um, and I, I want to help give that back um, because I think that that kind of impact could change a lot of people's lives. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what got me into uh, going for peer support and, and now stepping into the role of youth care coordinator here, because that stuff means a lot to me. Thank, um, you for, um, thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Yeah. Appreciate it. So Tristan, are you able to share what, um, what sure. brought you to this um, field of work? Sure. I'm going to give you a full disclosure. My 11 month old is here, so you might hear her in the background. Um, but yeah, so I have, you guys have heard some of the stuff that I've gone through in my life over these last few podcasts that we've been doing. And so I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life. Um, and I always sort of felt like a weirdo or really alone um, throughout some of that stuff. And uh, kind of had this belief that people, normal people don't go through things like that. Um, and, but my mom, I, I mentioned earlier, I love my mom. So, um, she's the reason that I am where I am today and not, um, struggling still because without her, I wouldn't be anywhere. Um, so I also, you know, my mom has worked in the mental health field for like, I don't know, a long time. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and so she's asked me to participate in different things here or there, um, or be like, uh, there's a thing in our community called a mentor where you can work with kids and just, it, it's sort of like a peer support specialist, but you're not certified in anything you're just going and hanging out with them and doing whatever so I she tried to get me to do things like that numerous times as I got older and got out of high school and stuff and I just wasn't really into it um and then I'm not really sure what happened um I went through quite a few jobs and some of which were some seriously hard physical labor jobs and then she started working for PMHCA as the executive director um, and shortly after that, a position was open, um, 
to basically create trauma talk. And so she told me that I would be really good at that. And I'm not really sure what changed, but I decided to do it instead of driving a forklift. And say most days, I'm overly happy about that decision. And there's a lot of mentally tiring days in this kind of a job, but it's so worth it. And I wish I would have known that sooner, although I don't think I would have been ready sooner. Um, so basically, the reason that I got into this is as I grew through all of my trauma and learned ways to help myself feel better and be better, I realized that I'm not weird and I'm not alone. And I also think that I wish there was ways that I could help other people feel that way. Um when they're going through something traumatic or difficult or whatever experiences they're struggling through. And so I think that's why I decided to take this position because I realized that you don't have to be alone and it doesn't make you weird or abnormal to go through stuff, you know? So I think my goal was to kind of help other people my goal was kind of to help other people see that, I guess you could say, see the light that I saw um, as I started, you know, growing up and started this position and things like that. So that's kind of why I started doing this. Thanks, Tristan. Um, yeah, the thing that I like about doing stuff like this is that everyone comes from different different backgrounds and everyone has their story and everyone's story has purpose and everyone's story has meaning um and that's the that that's the power in in what we do is lived experience um and that lived experience helps us build connection in the work that we do with other people um so i guess i can go um uh, so for myself uh, on previous podcasts, I, I kind of talked about it a little bit, but I, I've, I've struggled with substance use my whole life, um, pretty much um, from about the age of 16, 15, 16 years old. Um, and I probably had some undiagnosed mental health um, disorders. You know, I was probably undiagnosed with anxiety and depression from probably about the same time I started using substances at the age of 15, 16 years old. Um, you know, my uh, using at such a, a, a young age probably did a lot of damage mentally, physically, emotionally, and all that stuff. So um, one thing I know is, is like when I, when I was back in high school back then is like, I did not have anything too traumatic happen to me, but one thing that I do remember is that when my parents divorced when I was 18, um, I was always told by therapists that it did more damage than than I really thought, and and I really didn't think that it did, but um, you know, I and, and I think about that all the time, that like. I like to think that it didn't do a lot of damage to myself, but, but maybe it did. Um, so for me, um, substance use was like what really did a lot of things um, negative in my life. Um, 
you know, if, if anyone knows anything about substance use, it's, it's progressive. Um, you know, it, it started just with like smoking some marijuana and drinking alcohol here and there. And then um, it progressively just got worse. Um, you know, as I got older, um, it just, I started doing more things, um, experimenting with other substances and um, it started becoming more often. Uh, so instead of doing things just, just on the weekends, it became every day more often. Um, and it became more substances, whatever I could get my hands on. I was like a, like a human garbage can for substances, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I turned down a scholarship for, for soccer to a college because I was too concentrated on wanting to, wanting to party rather than, than to go to school. I, I, I did not care to go to school. Um, so with that being said, I continued to do my thing. I struggled to hold down jobs because, um, you know, I was too worried about about substance use. Um, so in 2009, um, my son was born, and you know, I, my 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 son's mother at the time, you know, she was not in active addiction at all. She drank a little bit of alcohol here and there, and um, you know. She, she kept giving me these ultimatums to like either get clean or, or leave basically. And, um, you know, I, I tried to find recovery quite a few times and, and I struggled. Um, I would get like 30, 60, 90 days clean and then go back out. So needless to say, um, I ended up, she ended up leaving me, uh, her and my son, uh, which was really hard. And after, after they left is basically when my downfall, like I, when I thought I was at my lowest, my bottom fell out even more. Um, after that, I, um, you know, I hit the, after the bottom completely fell out is when I, I found treatment. Um, I ended up going to a inpatient treatment. Um, I ended up going to, you know, a halfway house and I stayed clean for a while. Um, but needless to say, I, I, you know, I relapsed again. Um, so for anyone out there that, that struggles to stay clean and, and stay in recovery, I completely understand it's, it's hard. It's, it's, you know, for, for me, it was very hard to find this process and stay in it. Um, you know, so I just, I, I, I did what I know, know how to do to stay clean. So after many times in treatment, I did what I know how to do, how to stay clean. I went back to treatment again. I went back to a halfway house again. I went to a recovery house, a sober living house. And um, after that, you know, I got involved in 12-step recovery. Um, you know, I, it's for some people, it's not for some people. So, you know, it, I'm a believer in uh, multiple pathways. Whatever's for you is for you. Um, and this was is just what works for me. Um, 12-step recovery just works for me. Um, meetings and, and a good support.